This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour. Next week on the program, I'm going to be talking with my colleague and friend David Gran, one of the great nonfiction writers working today. He's got two books out that are high on the bestseller list this summer. So before that interview, I wanted to share again a story that David brought to the Radio Hour a few years ago. It's about the explorer Henry Worsley, the subject of David's book, The White Darkness. 3.94 nautical miles over... Three and a half hours travel was pleasing. I'm in great spirits. It was so wonderful to be back on the snow, heading south. Good night. Worsley set out in 2015 to become the first person to cross Antarctica alone and unaided. He was on skis, pulling his food and his equipment behind him. Well, polar journeys are all about how fit and strong your mind and will are. Hours in the gym cannot prepare you for that moment and the sound of the aeroplane that has just dropped you off at your star point fades. Or from then on, this beguiling continent will strip you bare. Here's David Grant. Henry had been to the South Pole twice before, but this would be his first solo expedition. And it was also longer than his other expeditions and more dangerous than any other expedition he had ever attempted. Henry was a meticulous planner, ruthlessly whittling down all his equipment to the bare essentials. Most important uh, was his satellite phone, which would allow him to stay in contact with ALE, Antarctic Logistics and Expeditions, a company that helped get polar explorers on and off the continent. Okay, stats for um, today, decimal 660. Each night after a long trek, he would call ALE, give them his medical condition and his coordinates. If he was ever in trouble, he could call for what he referred to as the most expensive taxi ride in the world, which would be a rescue plane to pull him out. Thanks, Andy. Mike, you and Andrew. He also called a friend in London uh, so he could record an audio diary of his day, uh, which could then be posted on his website. And it updated listeners about what he was going through, what he was eating, what he was feeling. Good evening, everybody. Sun shone for most of the day whilst wave after wave of low cloud cast intriguing bands of shadow and light that raced across the surface creating strips of light, all running parallel to each other. He was incredibly good-looking. And at that point, most of my friends were in the art world, um, in books or theatre or film, and we all thought that someone in the Special Forces was very, very glamorous. So 
Henry met his wife Joanne at a party in London in 1989. He had recently completed his selection course for the Special Air Service, or SAS, a legendary elite commando unit. Uh, And actually, I like adventurous people. I think it's great talking to people who are adventurers. So the SAS has extreme endurance uh, tests, which you have to pass in order to qualify. Uh, Several people have died even trying to take that course. Uh, Henry was among the very few who passed it. And in many ways, he and Joanna were opposites. Uh, She hates the cold. Uh, She couldn't think of any more dreadful place in the world than Antarctica. Yet for all their differences, they shared a similar sensibility. He really was a true romantic. He loved poetry. He loved art. He, he did tapestry. He stitched the most wonderful tapestry of two sledges going across the snow. He loved the history of all these old explorers and he glamorized their lives at his head. We retraced our steps over crevasses Henry worshipped Ernest Shackleton, who in many ways uh, was a failure as an explorer. On his first expedition that he commanded himself, he set out to reach the South Pole with three other men. They got within 97 miles, nautical miles, of the pole, but he feared that if he kept going, his men who were already fading would not make it back. Those 14 men who were my comrades, who regardless of self... And so he made a decision that always astonished uh, Henry Worsley. He decided to turn back. And it has been through them that we have achieved... And on his other uh, most famous expedition, uh, Shackleton had wanted to walk across Antarctica. He thought it was the last great prize to be achieved. But before he even reached Antarctica, his ship, uh, the Endurance, got frozen in the ice. And Shackleton found him and all his men marooned on an ice floe more than 800 miles from the closest island with any contact with civilization. What made it so amazing was he was able to guide all the men in his immediate party and get them back all home alive. I can only say, speaking here now, that they have been loyal to the very core throughout the trying times that we've gone through. I was very interested as a child. Photographs of the endurance story absolutely captivated me. I started reading more of the diaries and the accounts that they wrote about those expeditions. Henry found out that one of his ancestors, Frank Worsley, had been the captain of the endurance ship on the endurance expedition. So yes, this all started at a very early age. He began to burn with this very peculiar ambition, which very few share, which was to kind of suffer these miseries and become a polar explorer. Uh, And the motto that he lived by was uh, Shackleton's family motto, which was, by endurance we conquer. I should have had warning bells when he came back from a trip to South Georgia just after I first met him and was incredibly excited because he had managed to sleep beside Shackleton's grave. And it wasn't until when he was about 40 that he started really talking about wanting to do an expedition and follow in Shackleton's footsteps. 
So by the time uh, Henry was talking about doing his first expedition, he had two children, Max and Alicia. Initially, when he decided he wanted to do something that, you know, how many people say suddenly, wait a second, I want to go walk to the South Pole. Um, uh, You know, his kids were a little bit bewildered, but uh, Joanna was very supportive. I thought it was a wonderful idea. I really did. Both of us were huge believers in trying to fulfill dreams. A lot of the time, marriage stops you from fulfilling your own individual dreams because you feel you have to get permission from the other person. And I felt that through my 20s, I had fulfilled a lot of my dreams. I'd had a lot of fun. And he went into the army when he was 18. And I felt that it was his turn, really. So for his third trip, he wanted to walk across Antarctica to fulfill the goal that his hero, Shakhtin, was not able to achieve. But he wanted to do it alone. Well, I think the best thing is the day is mine. Success or failure of this journey is completely up to me. At the moment, I'm up at 7.30 on the trail at 9 a.m. Each day was similar. I mean, Henry would get up at uh, early in the morning, pack up his sled. This usually took about an hour. His harness would be connected to the sled, uh, and he would begin to haul it, uh, not unlike a mule. Well, I've been skiing for 90 minutes and then taking a five-minute break, and then off again. And he would walk with his skis, burning as much as 8,000 calories in a day. I've been craving food. Fish pie, brown bread, double cream, steak and chips, more chips, smoked salmon, baked potato, eggs, rice pudding, dairy milk, chocolates, tomatoes, bananas, apples. He would do this Herculean uh, task and challenge day after day. There was something almost primal about it. And pizza. Ah, just can't wait. His singular purpose became to just make his mileage. He had to achieve so many miles a day if he was to ultimately accomplish his goal. 9.4 nautical miles today. Good evening, everybody. So, in some, a tough day. The 9.7 nautical miles were hard won. I travelled a bit longer today, just over 11 nautical miles at this early stage. Everybody, day 21. 10.3 10.3 nautical miles was a disappointment. But 14 nautical miles is all I can do at the moment in a 12-hour day. He would trek for 14, 15, sometimes 16 hours across an alien landscape that's covered with a sheet of ice. It's pocked with crevasses. The White House, with just enough visibility to see the horizon, greeted me this morning. It was a very tough day, with many pauses or an intake of breath leaning forward on my ski sticks, head dropped, summoning everything. At 7 p.m., I checked my mileage cupboards during the day, and it was 11 decimal 7. At 8 p.m., I checked again. It was 12 decimal 9. Not enough. So I continued until the GPS displayed 13 nautical miles. Today was a test. Perhaps tomorrow will be another. Good night. 
And at the end of the day, um, when he was burrowed in his sleeping bag, he would uh, record a dispatch, an audio diary, updating his growing number of listeners, including many students. Henry always called these students young explorers. Right, a few young explorer questions, good questions tonight. Actually, Stuart Wilson wanted to know if I had the opportunity to ask Shackleton one question, what would it be? I think my question would be, what had he learned about leadership? What kept drawing him to the Antarctic? Did he regret being away from his wife, Emily, and three children for so long? I talked to him a lot while he was out there on a satellite phone. He found it much harder than other expeditions. That breaking ice is very hard work. And at least if you're with other people, you can take turns to be at the front. Whereas if you're the lead skier for a thousand miles, it's a great deal harder. You've found it cripplingly hard. Well, good evening, everybody. Location, 90 degrees south. When he got to uh, the South Pole, there's a, there's a research station there. Uh, but uh, if he was to fulfill his ambition of doing this trip alone and unsupported, he couldn't drop off supplies, he couldn't get a hot mail. And the only thing he really allowed himself was he thought he'd give himself at least a day of rest in his tent. Well, not much to report today, because I've spent most of it asleep. And I detected my body heading for hibernation. I thought it best to get back into the routine He felt the constant strain of making his mileage so that he could reach the end point of the expedition before the end of the month of January because in February begins the winter season in Antarctica where the temperature drops even further. It can reach uh, minus 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Even ALE uh, shuts down then. And at that point, there would be no exit. I left at about 8 p.m. this evening. Only covered five miles. And he hoped that um, the northern journey, this last phase of his expedition, would be a little bit uh, easier, at least he hoped in the first phase, that after he reached something called the Titan Dome, which, which is this massive ice formation, 10,000 feet high, he would at least begin to descend and have the help of gravity pushing him to the finish. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew serve your turn long after they are gone and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. Many of you will, of course, recognize those lines by Roger Kipling. I'm getting more feeble and more empty, but I still seem to have the will It says to my heart and nerves and sinews, hold on. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour. More to come. WNYC Studios is supported by Lincoln Financial. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do, and how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down. 
So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There is five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. I listened to his blogs every day and they were pretty good. They were pretty upbeat. But uh, I was just very concerned. It was a thousand miles on his own. He was older. He was 55 when he set out instead of 40. She could hear him growing more tired and she wondered what she should do. He worried constantly, constantly that he was being delayed. I was in a terrible position as to whether to say, Henry, stop, just listen for a minute. You are not going to make the end. You cannot make the end. Or say, you'll do it, darling. It's a really difficult one. I chose to say, I'm sure you'll be fine. Well, I had a very interrupted night's sleep last night. A bad stomach. Probably the weakest I've felt in the entire expedition. By now, his entire body was in agony. His, his back throbbed. All his muscles ached. His feet were bruised. His toes were discolored. He was suffering from the early signs of frostbite, especially in his thumb, which he struggled to move. He had lost more than 40 pounds. He was so tired that one day during a snack break, he fell asleep while sitting on his sled in the middle of a whiteout. I decided to stop and rest up. Heart's risky when I need the miles, but you have to listen to your body sometimes. I slept all day and feel much better. So the plan now is to move off tonight, walk through until tomorrow and bag 18 miles or so. Time to get back on the trail. He kept a diary, a personal diary. This one he didn't broadcast. One evening he wrote, legs are stick thin and arms puny. Andy, uh, I'm Andrew, it's Henry. Just to let you know, I'm putting in some extra hours 
at the moment. So my briefs will will come, but they may be much shorter. It's now nine o'clock, and I'm going off another couple of hours. It was just really not right. There was something really not right about about it then. His voice, his despair. He cried quite a lot. He never cried. He kept thinking he would reach the top of the Titan Dome and begin to descend. He just couldn't seem to reach the top. And so each day he would push longer and longer. Okay, details, day 66, 17 jam, time travel, 16 hours. Well, good evening, everybody. It's a very late broadcast. It's now one o'clock in the morning. In order to keep track, I must now do 16 nautical miles per day. This makes for a very long 16-hour day. So that's what I have to do. I'll do it, I will. As of today, this evening, I got 142 nautical miles to the finish line. The next day, day 67, his journal entry is short and his writing is increasingly difficult to read. He wrote, mixed bag, white out, soft snow, painful while afraid of stomach, worried about time and distance. On day 68, he didn't record a message for his listeners. It's all become quite an ordeal at the moment, so I'm not doing any young explorers. No narrative. Could he just explain that? Time has um, been caught up. Thank you, Sandy. Right. The next day, on day 69, uh, he scribbled in his diary, awful, had to stop after five hours, totally exhausted, feeling terrible, very deplorable, rested rest of day and into following morning, just wanted all to end in a good way. He was... Um, unable to move, really, at that stage. And he had lost control of his bowels and his bladder. We had been on the phone non-stop for two days. Me, very hysterical, begging him to pull out, and him just asking me to be patient. Henry, throughout his life, uh, especially whenever he was in danger, and he was in more danger now than he'd ever been in his life, he would always ask himself, what would Shaxx do? What would Shackleton do? And he had always thought, by endurance we conquer was the message of Shackleton, that you can always prevail through force of mind. But the thing that set Shackleton apart from so many other explorers who went to their polar grave is that he acknowledged his human limitations, and the limitations of his men. And he turned back. That was the thing about Shackleton. Henry was 900 miles into his 1,000-mile journey when he rang ALE and called for the most expensive taxi ride in the world. <clears throat> then he composed a final public message. Greetings, everybody. It's Friday the 22nd of January, day 70. And my hero, Ernest Shackleton, stood 97 miles on the South Pole. He said he'd shot his bolt. Well, today, I have to inform you there's some sadness that I, too, 
have shot my gold. My journey is at an end. I have run out of time, physical endurance, and a simple sheer inability to slide one ski in front of the other. But I spent 70 days all alone in a place I love. I'll lick my wounds, I will heal over time, and I will come to terms with the disappointment. In ten words, we're signing off. Journey's end. We'll see you later. Ellie arrived later that day, and Henry walked to the plane on his own volition. He was flown to Western Antarctica, the Ellie base camp, and there he called Joanna. It was such a relief for me, I can't tell you. I, um, he was with doctors, and he said to me, I'm fine, I'm going to stay here for a few days and just build up my strength. I'm having a cup of tea and a biscuit, and I'm going to be fine. But his condition continued to deteriorate, and he was flown overnight to a hospital in southern Chile uh, where they discovered he had peritonitis, which is an infection in the abdomen lining. When Joanna heard he had been taken to a hospital, she hurried to get on a plane. Shortly after she landed in Chile, uh, she received an update that Henry's liver had failed. And shortly after that, she heard that his kidney had failed. And before she could get to the hospital, she learned that Henry had died. The news of Henry's death was greeted in England with an outpouring of emotion. And he was hailed um, as an inspiration and as a hero, a polar hero, uh, much like the heroes that he had revered growing up. Hundreds of people went to Henry's funeral, including the top military brass, as well as Prince William. In December 2017, nearly two years after Henry died, Joanna, Max, and Alicia set off for the island of South Georgia, which was where Shackleton was buried and which Henry himself had visited many years ago. Joanna wore the same coat that Henry had worn on his last expedition, and they carried with them Henry's ashes. It was a very special day. It's an extraordinary little bay. It has the most magical little Norwegian church, and we had a wonderful service there, and we all poured whiskey onto Shackleton's grave. They then began to climb up an icy mountain slope, and where the earth was flat, they knelt down and buried Henry's ashes. David Grant's book about Henry Worsley is called The White Darkness. I'll talk with Grant about the wager, about Killers of the Flower Moon, and all his work on our next episode. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour. Thanks for listening. See you next time. The New Yorker Radio Hour is supported in part by the Chirina Endowment Fund.
I'm Ira Flato, host of Science Friday. For over 30 years, our team has been reporting high-quality news about science, technology, and medicine. News you won't get anywhere else. And now that political news is 24-7, our audience is turning to us to know about the really important stuff in their lives. Cancer, climate change, genetic engineering, childhood diseases. Our sponsors know the value of science and health news. For more sponsorship information, visit sponsorship.wnyc.org.